Jessica with us tonight. Amen. What great people they are. They're no stranger to our district. He has preached meetings uh, in this district in previous years. And uh, just a great preacher, great friend of mine. And I want him to take his liberty, preach to us, preach to the Kentucky district. Amen. I want the Lord to have his way. How about you? Amen. Would you give the Grams a good, warm Kentucky welcome as he comes? God bless you, Brother Graham. Oh, let's put our hands together for the Lord. That's just a lot better. And you'll make me feel so much more comfortable if we just lift our voices now with that and shout praise to God. Go ahead, open your mouth, let your voice out. Proclaim the excellent greatness of our God. Hallelujah. You're wonderful, Jesus. We bless your name. There's none like you. Hallelujah. You're altogether lovely and glorious and wonderful. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a treat it is to be here with you tonight. Thank you so much for coming out to the campground this evening to enjoy the presence of the Lord. I love being saved. And uh, I hope we're not over that. It's a wonder to have our sins washed away in His blood. It is a wonder to walk around as an earthen vessel with a treasure inside. We're blessed people, folks. We're blessed people. Hallelujah. Amen. To be here in Kentucky with you is a treat. I give honor to our good district superintendent, brother and sister Marshall, been friends of ours for years back in the days when it was youth division. For years we've been friends. I told him I was at a camp last week where Brother Jones was the night speaker and I was preaching in the morning and Daryl Johns was speaking in the afternoon. Three former general youth presidents at this camp. The funny thing to me was not him saying that, but the look on the faces of the teenagers when he said that. He said, these are four, three former general youth presidents. You saw all the young people go, what? Them? It was priceless. But I'm very honored to be here tonight honor to all of you district board thank you for your trust and i'm so privileged tonight to have my lovely bride of 23 years almost next month 23 years that she has put up with me and i've been blessed with her and next to her is my daughter jessica who's 14 years old and uh, she has given me a list of instructions of things not to say about her this week she told me before service certain subjects that were off limits. I am going to honor that tonight. So I have discovered that it's a lot more fun to go to these camps with my wife with me. I think it's more fun when Jessica's not because then I can say all that stuff I want to say. I love my, love my girl. Amen. I'm going to read tonight from John chapter 6 beginning in verse number 28. Just by way of clarifying, I was scheduled to go next week to Alaska. And my youth pastor decided he thought he wanted to get married next Saturday. And um, so I canceled my trip to Alaska, including the post-camp fishing excursion, out of my deep love for the young man who works with our young people. After canceling, 
after their scheduling someone else, he has postponed his wedding. I said, you don't know how close to unemployment you came, son. Very close. But they were very gracious. They have invited me to come next year. And so if the Lord tarries, perhaps I will get to be in Alaska next summer. It's great to be with Brother Blackshear. I look forward to hearing his teaching this week. I saw the title on the CD back there from this morning, and it sparked my spirit to want to hear what this good elder is speaking into our lives. John chapter 6, verse number 28, the scripture says this, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers, they said, did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is not a what. It's a who. He said, The bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus looked at them and said, If you want bread, I am the bread of life. And so I'm going to take a, a rather strange title perhaps this evening. Hope to make it make sense in a little while. But I'm going to pose you a question which echoes of a question that many of us have heard in our society. Playing off that just a little, I'm going to preach to you tonight on the subject, Would you like God with that? Would you like God with that? Amen. If you put your Bibles down and just one more time... Talk to the Lord for just a minute and ask God to speak to all of us here tonight. I'd sure appreciate it. And I think the Lord would be pleased. Father, we want to hear your voice tonight. We need your word to direct us. Would you help me, Lord, to preach your word tonight? I'm not equal to this task. I need you, Jesus. So I pray you'd quicken your spirit in me. Quicken your word. Bring it to life in my spirit tonight. And let the hearts and minds of every person here receive what you're going to say to us. Change us tonight by the effect of the preached word of the Lord. Ah, Jesus, reorder our priorities and deepen our passion and our hunger after the things of God tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray it. Amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated this evening. Um, let me start here. I, I think it goes without saying. We understand that times, the world has shifted dramatically since the days when Christ spoke these words that I read to you from John's Gospel tonight. It's the world we live in is so vastly different politically, socially, economically, religiously. It's so different. I have a son who is 18 years old. A few months he has a chance to be 19. He came to me a while back and sat down one evening. It was late. and I don't know how we got on the topic, but he said, Dad, what was life like? When you were my age. And I said, well, you know, we were crawling around the carcasses of the dinosaurs. 
And, 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 and he kind of believed that pretty much. I said, well, what do you mean? So he wanted to know what cars were like, and he wanted to know what different things were like. And then he, then he said, did you have a cell phone? <laughs> I said, no, we did not have a cell phone. Nobody had a cell phone. I remember the first little portable phones I ever saw. They were huge, you know. He said, what? He said, Dad, he still wasn't getting it. He said, what were computers like when you were my age? I said, they were huge things in rooms at NASA. That, that now your watch has more power than that thing had. He said, you didn't have a computer? I said, son, when I went to college, I was at the cusp of the technology wave. I was the envy of every student on my dorm floor because I had a correctable, portable electric typewriter. Yes, sir. I had arrived. He just looked at me with an incredulous look on his face. He tried one more time. He said, well, Dad, if you didn't have computers, what were video games like when you were a kid? I said, there was one. It was called Pong. It was a black screen with two little white bars and a little white dot that went back and forth. And you steered those little white things and tried to play tennis and knock that ball back and forth at a very slow rate of speed. And we thought that was the most amazing thing we had ever seen in our lives. He said, you really remember life before all that stuff? I said, son, I remember life before microwaves. I said, I remember when we got our first microwave. It was as big as a Buick. You remember? And when it came on, every light in the neighborhood went dim. He shook his head and went away to bed confused. He couldn't imagine that the world could shift so much in just 30 years or thereabouts. Now, if we can kind of get our minds around that, how much the world has shifted in just those three decades, can you then begin perhaps to crawl inside the statement of how much the world has changed since the days that Jesus spoke these words? Now that is not to suggest that the scripture is not true. Every word in that book is forever settled in heaven. And if every star falls from the heavens, that word will still be true. But what it does mean is that culture puts lenses on our eyes that sometimes cause us to read the words of scripture through a different tint than perhaps those who heard it first did. And tonight's text is one of those when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Because bread means something vastly different to us than it did to them. Oh, I'm not talking about the recipe or the texture or how heavy or how light it is or unleavened or not or, or leavened. That's not what I mean. I'm simply saying that in our world, bread, you see, is just an extra. 
bread is a little basket on the side of the table that you don't even have to order. They just bring it and stick it there for you. If you don't want it, just leave it. They'll take it away after a while. It's served free at the restaurants. There's no charge on your ticket for that basket of bread. It's just a little something extra that comes with the meal. It's not what you came for. It's enjoyable if you taste it, but it's not what brought you to the restaurant in the first place. You can take it or leave it. It's just an accompanying aspect. In fact, if we want someone's diet to be reduced to the purpose of punishment, we say we'll put them on bread and water. It's the lowest dietary thing we can come up with. There is a restaurant in my home state that has made its foundation and its living on throwing food at people. Bunch of Pentecostals. How many of you have ever been to Lambert's? Yeah, Lord. The home of throwed rolls. When you walk in this place down in Sykeson, Missouri, for those of you who have never had the experience, probably a skinny person. When you walk in that restaurant and sit down, there will come a guy out of the kitchen pushing this cart with metal trays on it full of yeast rolls that are made with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, Lord. Am I telling the truth? Buddy, I'm telling you, you put one of those on top of your head, your tongue will slap your brains out trying to get at it. Good stuff. And he walks out and says, hot rolls. And you better not wave at somebody across the restaurant about right then because you will get beaned in the forehead with a roll. Because anybody that even looks like they're interested, he'll sling them things to you. And they are some more all right. <laughs> but in spite of the fact that they have built their reputation on that. Still, I have never seen anyone walk in that place, and when the waitress comes up and says, what would you like to eat? They say, oh, I'm just having bread. Now, you might have eight or nine of them. You'd be very full. But that's still not what you came for. Because everybody in there is going to order catfish or fried chicken or pork chops or something. And the bread is still just an extra on the side of the table. But you've got to understand with me tonight that that was not the case for people living in the days of Christ. For them, bread was the staple of their diet. It was often all that they had to eat. It was not a basket on the side of the table. It had center stage. It was the main thing being served. It was the most important element in the meal. Now, I'm getting there, just hold on, to get an idea of just how central this was to their existence. Consider the fact that there are nearly 300 references in the Bible to bread. In Genesis 3, God looked at Adam and said, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. In Genesis 19, Lot entertained two angels, and the Bible says he made them a feast, and the only thing it names that he served was bread. <laughs> You're looking at me so funny. That's all right. Can you imagine, sir, coming home from work? You have worked up a man-sized appetite. You ain't just a little hungry. You're hungry. And you walk in and say, sweetheart, what's for supper? And she said, baby cakes, I have made you a feast. You say, good, what are we having? And she says, bread. And you're saying, and she smiles and says, butter. 
You're going to say, darling, ain't you got a chicken leg back there I can gnaw on or something? I mean, a, something besides bread. But Lot said he made a feast, and the only thing the Bible even names that he served was bread. Jacob makes a vow in Genesis 28 and says, if the Lord will be with me and will give me bread to eat. Jesus rebuked the devil at his temptation by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, because obviously man in that time thought he could live on nothing more or less than bread. When Jesus fed the 5,000. I know there was fish involved, but there was more bread than there was meat. I'm just trying to help you understand that those people understood bread to be something more than an extra, something more than a take it or leave it. It was the most important thing on their diet. And so when Jesus looked at them and said, I am the bread of life, he was not suggesting he's a basket of goodies that you can take or leave. Come on, somebody. He wasn't saying, I'm just a little extra, and if you get me, that's fine, and if you don't get me, that's okay. He was saying, if you don't have anything else, you better have Jesus. If you don't have anything else, you got to have Jesus. He is central. He is core. He is everything. He's more important than anything else in my life. He matters more than anything else in my home. He matters more than anything on my job. He matters more than anything in my garage. He matters more. He is bread. He is bread. He is bread. He is saying that he is basic to life. He is central. He is core to anyone who is called by his name. It doesn't get any more simple than this. We need Jesus every hour. We need Jesus every day. We need Jesus in everything we do. He is not a side salad. He's not a plate of dessert. He is the bread of life. All right, I'm going to get there. When I was fresh out of Bible school and green as grass, I was leading service one night, and I don't remember what song we sang, but when he got done with that song, I said, I'm so glad for what that song said to us because I need him sometimes. Church was done. My pastor pulled him in the office. He said, I would like you to tell me about those times you don't need him. I said, you know what? I'd like to rescind that statement. I walked right back out on the altar. I said, Lord, let me just be clear. I need you on Monday mornings. I need you on Tuesday afternoons. I need you on Thursday at midnight. I need you Friday when I get up, Saturday when I go to bed. I need you at work. I need you at play. I need you at church. I need you in the morning. I need you in the evening. Come on, somebody. I wish we'd clean our table off of a bunch of junk that doesn't have any spiritual value and say, I want more Jesus. I want more Jesus. I want more Jesus. We're a bunch of spoiled Pentecostals that think because we talk in tongues that we got it all together. Listen, I believe that to the core of my being, but I think the Lord would be pleased if we got off our Pentecostal pedigree and got desperate after him and got desperate after him. I think the church could go further if everybody in it said, I got to have Jesus. I got to have Jesus. I got to have Jesus. I got to have Jesus.
And so that brings me to this point. There is something simply maddening about the people who work at the drive-up lanes at fast food restaurants. Now, if that's your chosen career, I'm sure the only reason I feel this way is that I've never been through your particular drive-up lane. But in general, they drive me up the wall. Laying aside the frequent absence of manners and the void of personality, forget about the cavalier nature in which I am treated, ignoring the audio equipment which was manufactured in 1830. <laughs> the single greatest complaint that I have is that question. You know the one? After, I see, because you see, when I get to that drive-up lane, I know what we're having. Because for 30 minutes going down the road, I have subjected my family to questioning that has been outlawed at Guantanamo Bay. I know what we're having. I have, and it's not like they suddenly came up with a new menu option. You've never pulled up there and said, oh, they have chicken cordon bleu tonight. Duck a l'orange. It's a burger and fries for pity's sake. It's what they got. And I have questioned my family. I know what they want. I know that my son does not want lettuce on his sandwich because he has a moral conviction against eating anything that's green. Except lime sherbet. I, I know that my, my wife wants light mayo if they have it. I have perfected this. I know. And, and I have it down. I've practiced it. I'm like a Bible quizzer. Push the button, say the line. And so we pull up there and I enunciate clearly so that there can be no confusion. I pronounce every syllable perfectly so that even the 1830 audio equipment can translate it into her mind. And after I have very clearly explained exactly what we want, she asks that question. Would you like a hot apple pie with that? Pray for me. I need medical assistance. I want to crawl through the window, through the speaker, and say, did I ask you for a hot apple pie? Did I mention hot apple pies? I see the menu. Hooked on phonics worked for me. I can read the menu. I know that you have hot apple. If I'd have wanted one, I'd have mentioned it, and I'd have said it clearly. Just give me what I asked for. Pray for my family. But really, what she is acknowledging is that her company is really not about apple pies. That's not what they feature. It's not central to the meal. Oh, it might be enjoyable, but it's not essential. It's nice, but it's not necessary. If you get one, you might even enjoy it. But if you don't get it, your experience will still be complete. It's agreeable, but it's certainly not required. And therefore, she just kind of throws it out there saying, Hey, with everything else you've got, would you like me to slip an apple pie in the bag? If you don't eat it, it's okay. But if you taste it, you might enjoy it. Would you like one on the side? I have to wonder sometimes if we have ever treated the Lord like that.
Do we treat the bread of life like just another dish at the table? I got a bag full of things I'm enjoying, Lord. If you slide a little Jesus in there, I'll try to get around to it at some point. I wish you'd hear me right now. You're busy with a thousand other things, but I hear the Holy Ghost saying, Would you like God with that? Okay, I'm just about to make it make sense right now. I think the Lord says to us, oh, you're having church, are you? You got songs and announcements and prayer and a sermon and a choir. But would you like God with all that stuff? I think I hear the Lord saying, oh, you're building a family, are you? You got the house and the car and the mortgage and the kids and the dog. But would you like God with that? Building a career, are you? You got the job and the training and the promotion. But can I get in the bag? Can I be part of the mix? Would you like God with that? I hear the Lord saying you're having fun. Would you like God with that? You're driving in your car. Would you like God with that? You're sitting in your living room. Would you like God with that? You're walking through the grocery store. Would you like God with that? I wish the Pentecost. I wish the Pentecostals would shake loose of thinking what we've got is a Sunday night only experience and say when I get up in the morning, I want it to be Jesus. When I go to bed at night, I want it to be Jesus. When I'm driving to work, I want it to be Jesus. And our first response might intuitively be yes, I want God with all that. But I would maintain that is not even the right of response because I'll take God in place of it all. With it or without it, I gotta have bread. If I don't have anything else on my spiritual table, give me some Jesus. Job or no job, I gotta have bread. House or no house, I gotta have bread. Degree or no degree, I gotta have bread. I want Jesus more than things. I want Jesus more than friends. I want Jesus more than ease. I want Jesus more than my plans. He is everything to me. He is the bread of life. Oh, I wish everybody in here just kind of talk to the bread just a minute. I wish you'd tell Jesus how much you love him and how bad you want Jesus in your life. All right. I'm going to tell you something that's true right now, and you better amen this or I'm going to be here a while. That's a threat. Everybody will amen it now. We need bread in every service. I don't care if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night prayer, Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday morning children's class, Friday night youth service. Honey, let's not get so professional that we don't have bread. We've got to have bread in every service. God save you. Hear me right now. God save the Pentecostals from learning how to have church. I want our services to flow right. I'm a nit nitpicker about that kind of stuff. My wife tells me it's good I'm saved because I couldn't play poker. Because she can look up on the platform and tell when I'm upset. Something doesn't go right or somebody doing it wrong or something not happening right or this isn't working or that isn't working. And I, I just, it shows on my face. I want it to go right. 
Okay, that's me. I think the Lord deserves the best we can give Him. But you know what? I'd rather have the mic. I'd rather have the keyboard not play when the lady starts to play it. I'd rather have a mic not work when we pick it up. I'd rather lights go out in the middle of church. I'd rather the fire alarm go off and the Holy Ghost move than for us to get so professional that we put on a production that gets five stars in the morning paper, but there's no dynamic of the Holy Ghost that touches lives in that place. I'm saying, God, we got to have bread. we got to have bread. we got to have bread. Take our talent. Give us bread. Take our program. Give us bread. Take our production, but give us bread. I've reached my fill of fashion substituting for bread. Talent can't take the place of bread. Facilities can't take the place of bread. We need a little bread in Sunday school. We need bread in kids' church. We need bread in choir practice. I'm convinced that choirs can't really sing without their mouths full of bread. I don't think drummers can really drum unless there's breadcrumbs flying off the drumsticks. I don't really think an usher's doing his job unless there's a smell of bread on him. Hey, a greeter at the door doesn't need a friendly smile as much as they need the aroma of fresh-baked Jesus. When that sinner comes in, I want him to feel something. When that sinner walks in the door, I want him to say, there's something here. I can't find any place else. I don't know what that is. I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in every service. I can't stand dead church. So you never have dead church? I didn't say that. We do on occasion. But I hate it. Well, we're just tired tonight. Yeah, but that crack addict that came in on the back row deserves something better than a bunch of spoiled Pentecostals saying we'll catch him next time. That alcoholic that's looking for deliverance doesn't need the bread in a basket over on the side of the table. He needs to have Jesus in the song service and Jesus in the announcements and Jesus in the preaching. And Jesus when the choir sings and Jesus in the altar call and Jesus in the congregation. It's got to be bread in every service. Folks, they expect it. They didn't show up thinking they were coming to the First Presbyterian Church. They read the sign. They know what we claim to be. We will never run them off being who we are. It's going to get ugly. But I rebuke that mess that says we got to shape Pentecost to a particular generation or we got to change how we do things so our culture will be more accepting and we got to be more seeker sensitive and we got to be more relevant. I'll tell you what we got to be. We got to be Jesus' name, Holy Ghost filled, tongue talking, shouting, running, jumping, bucking, apostolics. That's what they came for. They can get professionalism elsewhere. They came for bread. They came for bread. They came for bread. 
I can, I can prove this to you from the book. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are down in the belly of that jail. At midnight, they start singing, praising God. Earthquake happens, shackles fell off, doors open. But it wasn't just their doors. The Bible says all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. But the amazing thing is not just that fact. I can understand that. What blows my mind is when the jailer comes back, pulls out his sword and is going to fall on it, Paul hollers out at him and says, Don't hurt yourself. We are all still here. I can understand Paul and Silas hanging around, but what kept those murderers there? Why didn't the rapists run? When the doors flew open and the shackles fell off, you'd think somebody would take off running, but they said there's something here. I found something here. I don't know what that is, but it's holding me captive. More than prison bars and chains. They may shut the door, but I want what's here. I'm telling you, we'll never run people off with the smell of bread. I'll tell you about a night that changed my life. I was in high school, junior, and there was a gentleman in our senior class. We became friends with him. His name was Philip. And I did my best to get Philip to come to church for months. And, and he finally, finally, one night, agreed to come with me on a Sunday night. Now, Bishop... If you need to set me down, let somebody else preach the rest of the week. I will understand because I'm going to confess a terrible prayer that I prayed. Because we had this lady in our church. Everybody's got one. And I knew that if that dear sister acted like herself, Philip was going to have a lot of questions. And so I prayed a horrible prayer. I step off the platform to even confess this. I, I did. Now, you think I'm lying? I'm, not, I'm telling you. I said, now, God, I don't want her to be real sick. But if you could just give her a, maybe a low-grade fever, a slight headache, fallen arches, something. God has a sense of humor. Because that sister came in that night and appeared to be feeling just fine. And here's why God has a sense of humor. I, I was sitting in our church, the equivalent of right here, and Philip was sitting, sorry, but Philip was sitting right here. Now that dear sister usually sit way over yonder. That night, God has a sense of humor. She sat right here. I thought, oh God... And I repented right away. I said, Lord, that was a terrible prayer that I prayed. That really was bad. That, I'm, thank you for not answering that one. I have an alternate proposal. I said, could you maybe move on the worship leader and send him to the pulpit with a real driving burden to sing like in the garden? Nearer my God to thee, and I surrender all. Did I mention that God has a sense of humor? Because the worship leader came out of the prayer room, hit the pulpit, and the first sound out of his mouth, Everybody will be happy!
he didn't get the first happy out of his mouth until that sister hit the aisle and started sinking bobby pins in the drywall up over the baptistry. I looked over at Philip. His eyes that big around. When I drove him home that night after church, I didn't talk about God at all. I didn't talk about church. I didn't ask him how he liked the service. I'm serious. We talked about the political climate in Bangladesh, but we did not talk about church. And when I got him to his house and he got out of my car, rolled the window down, he leaned back in, he said something to me that forever changed me. He looked back in that window and he said, Scott, I don't know what went on there tonight. But he said, but if I ever decide to get God, can I get more of what she's got and less of what you've got? I said, I'll never sit there again. I'll never be quiet again. I'll never be embarrassed again. That's what he wanted. That's what he came for. He wanted an encounter with Jesus. Come on, church, get desperate for bread. Bread on Sunday morning. Bread on Sunday night. Bread in Bible study. Bread in prayer meeting. Bread in youth service. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'll just go one step further. It's not the preacher's job to be sure it's there. That got tight because you just want to pull up outside without praying all week and expect the preacher to produce the jazz. I'll tell you, it's the congregation's job to come in and say, we're going to have a move of God tonight. I'm going to be a worshiper tonight. I'm going to touch Jesus tonight. It's hard for that sinner sitting down the road from you to really believe the Holy Ghost is that great when your pastor preaches about it and you act about as excited as a grapefruit. You can receive the Holy Ghost and, you, and all we spoiled Pentecostals kind of go, oh, well, yeah. And he looks down the aisle and says, that's what I came for and you've already tasted it and that's all the more excited you are? I would to God on Sunday you'd light that climate up with an attitude that says when I get there we're going to have Jesus. I'm going to pray before I go. I'm going to worship when I get there. I'm going to be involved all through service because we've got to have bread in this service. Now, you're not going to like this as much. You may see it. The folks... If I stopped preaching right there, we'd have fun, but it would be incomplete. Because we need bread in our homes. I can't be the dad I'm supposed to be unless there's the smell of bread in my house. I'll never be the husband that I'm called to be. Unless I wake up every day with some bread in my house. You'll never be the wife God ordains. You'll never be the son or the daughter that you're supposed to be. Unless there's bread in your house. Okay, I'm going to go there. Your house ought to smell just like your church does. Your kids ought to say, you know what? There's the same Jesus here that's there on Sunday. 
I feel the same Holy Ghost here that I felt when the choir sings. I mean, let me do this. There is something about the smell of fresh baked bread. <laughs> when we were newly married, somebody bought for us one of those devil-possessed bread machines. You know, the ones you could put the ingredients in, set the timer, and along about four or something or five or something in the morning, it starts mixing and kneading and rising and, and baking, and, and it fills the house with the smell. Now, ordinarily, when my son went through a certain age span, that it took a bucket of ice water and a tactical nuclear strike to get him out of bed. You could grab him by the heel and drag him out of bed. His head hit the floor, drag him to the bathroom. He's still asleep. But on those mornings when that bread machine was working, I'd just walk in his room and tap him and say, Jeremy, yes, Father. Time to get up. And I would start out of his room, and he would pass me fully dressed. And when I got upstairs, he's at the table with a knife in one hand, a spoon in the other, butter and jelly, and a very expectant look on his face. It made the difference. I didn't have to beg him to go. I didn't have to threaten him. Say, as long as you live in my house, you're going to the table. I didn't have to say, I'm going to take your car keys away if you don't go. He was motivated to go. Because the smell of bread compelled him. I, I, I'm not minimizing challenges any of us have with our teenagers. But I tell you how we can minimize a lot of them. It's if they got up on Monday morning and they said, you know what, I smell the same Jesus. That's not just a Sunday something. I smell something here. Mama's been up praying. Daddy's been singing while he was shaving. I smell Jesus in the house. And all of a sudden when Sunday comes, I don't have to threaten them. I don't have to beg them. They say, I want to go because I've been smelling it all week. There's something about that aroma of Jesus that pulls our families to the altar. We men like to hook our thumbs in our lapels and say, I'm the breadwinner in my house. Are you? I want it to be. I want to bring home the bread to my family. Not just presidents on paper. I want my kids to smell the aroma of Jesus around me. I want them to come home from school and smell it. At the dinner table, I want them to smell it. When they're going to bed at night, the last aroma in their spiritual nostrils, I want it to be Jesus lives here. When they get up in the morning, I want them to feel the presence of God. Mama, Daddy, you got to make it happen. we got to have bread in our homes. When God dropped that man in Israel's lap, it's always amazed me. I mean, he was God. It would not have been any harder for him to put it in Tupperware on their kitchen counter. It would have been no bigger a miracle for him to put it inside their tent as they have it laying outside the tent. He could have done it. But it is as though the Lord said, I'm going to get it close to you. And I'm going to find out how bad you want it for your family. Because if you want your family to eat, you're going to get up every morning, sir, and go out and gather it. Every morning before you do anything else, sir, you're going to see to the bread-making ability of your family. Uh, folks, your church is not a bakery. It's not a bread warehouse. You don't back your minivan up there three times a week and try to get enough Jesus to make it through till the next time you can come back. 
Your pastor does not wear an apron and he's not been taking cooking classes. He will soberly and gladly shoulder the responsibilities that come with the title of pastor. But you cannot falsely place guilt on him for not doing your job. His role is to help you with the recipe. His job is to tell you where to get the ingredients. But good sir, good sister, it is your job to bake the bread. He'll tell you how to get a hold of Jesus. But you're going to have to seek Jesus. He'll tell you what to do to reach him. But you've got to have a passion to get bread in your home. We need bread in every service. We need bread in our homes. But we've got a hunger for bread in our own lives. I'm praying for a divine appetite to grow in us. Boy, I hope you don't misunderstand me. And if you have any question about where I stand, you be here tomorrow night. And if you leave with a question, it's because you ain't listening. So don't stone me. But there are individuals in your community and mine who have never been born again of the water and the Spirit that demonstrate more hunger after Jesus than we do. Now you could say amen or oh me or why'd they bring him? I don't care. It's still true. Now part of that is because they've never been satisfied by what they've had. But the danger is we get too satisfied by what we've had. I got the Holy Ghost 34 years ago. That ought to be good enough. And you think that's as deep as you can go in God? You think that's as high as you can climb in the Spirit? I hear the Holy Ghost calling to you. Can you hunger after me more than things? Can you hunger after me more than things? Can you hunger after me more than things? Can there be a hunger in your life for more bread? Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Not some things. Not a few things, but not as well as you could with me. No. God said if you don't have bread, you can't preach, you can't sing, you can't witness, you can't do anything without Him. We can't do nothing. Oh God, I pray that desperation would rise up in us that we would quit resting on an experience and start questing after a relationship. I would to God... The echo of the psalmist would be in our lips. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God win. Can I come and appear before God? O God! Thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I cling to the promise. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. I'm looking for hungry apostolics tonight. I wonder if you'd stand with me right now. I'm looking for people to rearrange their priorities. To say, I've had Jesus over here on the side of the table. It's time to sweep this other stuff out of the way and bring that basket of bread right there in the center of my plate and say, if I don't eat anything else, I've got to have Jesus.
wonder perhaps if we ruined our appetite, if the reason we don't hunger like we ought is that we've ruined our appetite with junk food. We used to go out to dinner on Sunday. Kids' dinner, sitting there in front of them. Aren't you hungry? No. Well, why aren't you hungry? Well, we had donuts before church. Had cupcakes in Sunday school. They gave me a bag of candy. I've been eating on the back seat on the way here. No wonder they're not hungry. Listen, I didn't say it was poison. It's not that it's sin. It's just stuff. It's not anything that's necessarily going to kill them. It just quenches their appetite for what they really need. Junk food. Music and entertainment. Sports and leisure. Hobbies and activities. Nothing inherently sinful. We just get so full that there's no room left to hunger for Him. Just close your eyes right now and let the Lord speak to you. And you know the thing that's so deceptive about that stuff we fill up on? Some of them are even bread flavored. You know, like Christian radio, gospel CDs, Gaither DVDs. They taste like bread, but they're not bread. Maybe you've even felt satisfied because you've dined on casseroles that have bread as one of the ingredients. You know, preaching tapes, church services, conventions, conferences, even camp meeting. Bread is certainly part of the mix, but it's still not the same as getting up every morning and saying, Jesus, if I don't have anything else, I've got to have bread. And so I hear coming from the heavens. Just keep your eyes closed a minute. Let the Lord address you. I hear coming from the heavens this question. I've blessed you with a whole lot of things. Even in this economic downturn, you're rich by nearly every standard of the world. Would you like God with that? You're part of a great church. You've got a wonderful pastor. I filled you with the Holy Ghost. You've had an experience with me. Would you like God with that? In the midst of all your planning for tomorrow, in the midst of all your busyness, in the midst of all your running hither and yon, would you like God with that? Even to pastors, he speaks and says, in the midst of your sermon preparation, in the midst of running to hospitals to visit folks, in the midst of counseling people and trying to keep their heads screwed on straight, in the midst of trying to rescue marriages, in the midst of getting your Bible study together for Wednesday night, in the midst of trying to keep your sanity in a messed up world. W would you like God with that? Because see, this kind of bread has no preservatives. It's just like the manna that the Israelites had to go get. You couldn't stockpile enough to hold you over because by the next morning there'd be worms in it. The only day you didn't go get bread was on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you had to have enough stored up already. The only day you're not supposed to get bread on your own is on Sunday. You're supposed to have enough stored up so you can minister to other people that day. No, the question is, give us this day 
our daily bread. Preacher, you know who you're preaching to? Yeah, a bunch of Pentecostals have the same pedigree I have, have journeyed the same road I've journeyed, had the same Holy Ghost experience I have, and it is to us that the Spirit of God speaks this moment and says, would you like God with that? If there's a hunger in your heart for more of Jesus and less of other stuff, I think it'd be a good night to come to the altar tonight. I think it'd be a good night to hurry to the altar tonight to perhaps put your face in the carpet if that's appropriate and you're able to do so and say, God, I've gotten so distracted with so much stuff. But Jesus, could you bring me back into focus tonight? Could you, could you help me realize that I need more Jesus and less of everything else? Could you help me understand tonight, God, that without you I can't do anything? I can't pastor this church if I don't have a deep relationship with you. I, I can't lead my family if I don't have an abiding relationship with you. I, I can't be a witness on my job if I don't have a real abiding relationship with you. My church is never going to impact our city unless there's bread in that place. I'm never going to train my children unless I've got bread coming off my lips. I'm never going to be what you want me to be. I'll never be able to go where you want me to go. I'll never be able to do what you want me to do unless I've got more Jesus in my life. Build you an altar. I'm done preaching. Would you lift your voice now and begin to cry out to God? It's way too quiet in here right now. We need to be desperate people calling out to Jesus. Come on, get desperate. Get desperate. Let your cry come up out of the belly of your soul. Let your cry come up before heaven tonight. I've got to have you, Jesus. I don't care about my image, and I don't care what the guy next to me thinks, and I don't care what somebody down the way thinks. I'm desperate after Jesus.